0: Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent free. Howdy folks, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. Uh, I am Francis in the captain's chair. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And uh, we're going to be doing this time a celebration and appreciation of Klingon culture, our first Star Trek episode. I have uh, been wanting to do this for so long, guys. And we've been talking a long time about Klingons. We constantly talk about Klingons. We're quoting Klingons all the time. or, Or Star Trek in general. That's right. Star Trek is one of those doors in which we all enter. Uh, it's very much baked into us. We are of that age. We were very small when the original Star Trek yes, premiered. Yeah. But Eight nine years old when, when those it, episodes were on syndication, syndication. in the early seventies. That's right, and that was formative to us in many many ways. Yeah. As as and young
1: adults, a, when Next Generation debuted,
0: that's absolutely. So we were one of the we were early adopters. I mean. We were at your aunt's house for the premiere. We were, and uh, it was an amazing because I had my wisdom teeth were acting up. I still remember. <laughs> uh, I can always tell you when I had my wisdom teeth out because it
2: was three days after that. That's right. As a matter of fact, uh, it was uh, just a few days ago that was the anniversary of that date. Isn't that amazing? It was October third, I believe. That's isn't right. It? Absolutely, yes. Uh, you got it. That's right. A lot a lot of things have... Uh... It's amazing
0: the useless information the mind can call up. <laughs> well, when it comes to Star Trek, nothing is useless, as we all know. Uh, and, and, we, and we will do many other Star Trek episodes from time to time. Uh, it, it is peppered in everything we yeah. do very often. Uh, but this one is kind of the, the necessary one. The one that we wanted... Because we talk about this all the time because it almost didn't happen. An appreciation of Klingon culture. And people will say, oh, how geeky. But it's far deeper than that. It actually points out some great universal truths about the human condition, which all good stories should do, right. and right. that's why we find it so fascinating.
1: Yeah. And that, that's that's the thing about Star Trek, and about in particular any Klingon threads in the episodes. It's good
0: storytelling. That's right. It almost and every,
1: everybody loves storytelling.
0: That's right. That's in many respects. That's what that, that is. You could boil down the human condition: what is good about it. The fact that we tell stories—that's why this. Well, podcast that's what makes is, us
2: different from every other creature. That is right, Because we tell stories. That's right, yeah. and that's what makes life worth living in many
0: ways. That's why this podcast is all about. We're telling stories in just different ways, yeah. and the beauty of the Klingon culture, I think, is partially contained within its irony because it almost didn't happen, uh, and just to kind of reach back. There's that word again. Yes. Not reach around, but reach back uh, a little bit, and. Remind everybody that the Klingons we know today had almost nothing, or almost nothing like what was originally intended. Uh, they were intended basically to be simple cardboard cutout villains. Uh, they were a, in many respects, this is still at the, the waning of the Western genre, uh, the height of it on television and right. movies and this so,
1: Roddenberry got his start in TV with like cop shows and, and westerns and, and and that kind of
2: well, early and it, 60s and it was still drama. very much that's what you did and so, that's what the producers wanted was a wagon train to the stars that's right and that's how he sold it originally yeah. Uh, so yeah you needed Indians <laughs> so that's <laughs> what, he's,
0: what he's doing here and he's not and he also needed cheap ones because uh, especially in Hollywood these days you know that's how you you know wigs and uh, and uh Bows and arrows and horses, and you got you got Indians. That's kind of the way the Klingons were originally started—a little swarthy makeup and some pretty cheap costumes and a little bit of mustache uh, twirling—and that's what you got. They were also intended to be at that time because Indians were also standing in for Soviets during the Cold War. Yes, this this is—it's all related. Sixties, the Cold War. You need a very uh, melodramatic villain, a cultural villain to yeah. work with, yeah. and, and they, that's
1: what they came up with. Right, They served as a touchstone to the audience to relate to current
0: events that's right. uh, as an analog for the, for the Soviets. Right. But the thing about the Klingons were, A, Roddenberry didn't really create them. He had a little bit to do with them. He was, it was still first season when they came up with it. It was late in first season. It was Gene L. Kuhn who actually did the real work on this. But as we said, they were pretty much... They were totalitarian, militaristic, mean stuff. Yeah. They had the swarthy makeup. And part of this was sold in, in their first episode is the episode of Errand of Mercy with the wonderfully scene-chewing actor, John Colicos. <laughs> we remember him well because he was Baltar in the original... Battlestar Galactica and this guy my lord there's never a scene that he didn't know how to chew he was amazingly fun in everything <laughs> he did he was larger than life and he made a great foil for James Kirk who was of course larger than life in many ways so it made a great story and uh they realized you know these are these are pretty good let's keep bringing these folks back but there's really only three episodes in that original series that you got you have got Errand of Mercy you had The Trouble with Tribbles uh, which had William Campbell as Klingon captain He didn't have a large role in there, but you've got the whole bar fight scene and uh, the Klingons insulting Scotty and stuff and it, 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 that added a little bit more to the mythos And then later on in the third season you have the great uh, actor Michael and Sarah uh, played Klingon Captain Kang and he and Kirk kind of go at it in this episode and you get a little bit of wait a minute, these guys are militaristic. You didn't quite get that before. They were almost the Hun in the first episode. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get to the, the third episode, you're seeing, wait a minute, there's more here. And I think that's, A, that's the writing, but it was also the actors that, that pull this off. And yeah. I think the good writing plays to the strength of their actors. When you've yeah. got somebody like Michael and Sarah who actually played Kang two more times, late, much, much, much later, yeah. uh, it all of a sudden you've got this creation that just kind of sits on the shelf, and throughout the '70s, you, you have this mythos of the Klingons. It's really not much. It's just they're the bad guys. I even had a copy of the Klingon joke book in the early '80s, which, <laughs> uh, which which I bought at a convention actually. And basically, it's all the all the stupid people jokes you've ever heard about. You know, how do you know a Klingon has been on your computer? The whiteout on the monitor. That's that sort of thing. That's sort of thing. Uh, that's where the Klingons were uh, until 1979, when with the Star Trek movie. They all of a sudden had a budget, so they actually made the the brow ridges and the militaristic samurai bushido type look. Mm-hmm. That was a turning point. It wasn't the big turning point, but it's one of the turning points. Uh, James Doohan actually created the the guttural language they used. There's only five words spoken in that in Klingon spoken in that movie, and they're very brief. They're very clipped. They're very uh, not much. But he's the one That kind of came up With the sound Yeah And from that point They just kind of Sat there And people go Huh What And then and you flash forward Again four years later You've got Star Trek The Search for Spock With Christopher Lloyd John Larroquette And an actor Whose name I cannot remember Who played Torg All of a sudden You've got A language Because they've written A language They hired Mark Okrand uh, A linguist himself To create the actual Klingon language Uh and then all of a sudden, the Klingons turn again, yeah. and they're a little bit more human, well, believable. They yeah. have motivations There's now. There's a
1: motivation behind. Yeah, that's right. It, There's depth. You know, that's yes. it. That's exactly that's, right. They, they move from being the cookie cutter bad guy to a, a a bad guy with with some depth and some trying to figure out the motivation and, um, yeah. it's that's the neat part when you think about whether. The Star Trek movies became moneymakers, mm-hmm. and they're kind of like, well, okay, well, what do we do? Well, sideline Gene Roddenberry was... Was part of it, that's correct. <laughs> First because, on the agenda. Well,
0: that's true, because Roddenberry did not want to do Klingons again, because he said, we've been there, done that. Well, yeah, when they're cookie cutters, I can see that. Yeah. But he didn't realize, you know, take what you've got and truly develop them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that and made a big difference. That was the
1: thing with... with uh, Wrath of Khan is is okay well we had this great villain from Space Seed way back when yep. Let's, what would have happened uh, and make it back into an adventure story
0: and it of course blew everybody away yeah. it, it changed everything yeah. and then I says well why, why can't we do something with Klingons we've got these yeah. Klingons out and there the same they mood. were originally meant to be Romulans by the way in the early drafts yeah. which are not as interesting I think yeah, they but made see, the right choice that's noise. the thing
2: I mean, it, Romulans were when the next right. generation came around They swapped roles. The Romulans were originally the ones that we saw as having honor. Right. Uh, You know, they were, I mean, we just did the episode on Rome. Yeah, they were quasi Romans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their planets are Romulus and Remus. Hello, you can't get any more direct. These are Romans. These
0: these are Romans (laughs) on
2: steroids and stuff. Right. And we might
0: do a Romulan episode. That's kind of cool because they're very different. Right. But they're not
2: as fun as Klingons. But now they've turned into the, the. you know, sneaky, backstabbing, uh, totally without honor, uh, uh, bad guys. That they really—I mean, they were bad guys in the original right. series, but you know, they have swapped places. Right. Because
0: if you're going to create—and this goes back exactly to the Klingon culture—if you're going to make the Klingons honorable, making the Ra- Romulans dishonorable creates the tension that you
2: need because that's—and right. thats, and that's and that comes later. That's that's next generation stuff. And I think the reason that they swapped out, at least in the next generation, Romulans for Klingons, has nothing to do with anything other than this. And that is that they didn't want to put another Vulcan-looking person on the bridge of the Enterprise. That's right. And that's why we didn't get Romulans in the next generation. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you would see a reversal of how we do yeah. the two races. In, in fact, Romulans were late to the party in The Next Generation. Yeah, they, they were very, the last, almost the very last It episode.
0: was the last episode of the first season. And they came back, and as Marina Sirtis has said many times, they came back in that episode, and they go, we're back, and she says, so what? Because <laughs> it didn't really do much they for them. They didn't carry it forward. They yeah. didn't carry much forward, but because you didn't have their continuing presence for yeah. much. Uh, it, it got yeah. better. It got yeah. a lot better. But Klingons really, uh, with all great appreciation for the writers of Star Trek Three. And for Christopher Lloyd in particular, you know, they say uh, badassery is built into them. That's, I think, one of the, one of the things that makes them so compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically, you remember when they board the Enterprise, there's only like a dozen of these guys. And it says, they outnumber us, my lord. We are Klingons, he says. And, of course, they go and get themselves blown up because, hey, this is James T. Kirk they're going up against. No contest. But it makes for a great story. Yeah. That's the template that's kind of... Everything has changed for that. Flash forward four years to the next generation. And they're like, you know, we've got this guy. Worf did not... Roddenberry did not want Worf on, on the bridge of the Enterprise. He didn't, want him, he didn't want a Klingon character at all. He said, I don't want to do this again. They convinced him otherwise. And Michael Dorn had a lot to do with that. Because when they cast him for that, they were able to make this all work. So, in many respects, the Klingon culture was handed to Michael Dorn and the writers that worked around him, most of which were Ron, Ronald D. Moore yes, uh, eventually, Moore and, and we're getting a little ahead of yeah. ourselves. But the real moment, we talked about this in the show prep, where everything changed. We've kind of built to this, and it's good. Everything that's been around, you know, we've got these moments uh, that are really kind of cool. We don't We build on those. We don't repudiate them. Uh, Samurai Bushido was kind of the thing that we started with, but we really crystallized it in the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, and you might remember the episode Heart of Glory. Uh, Maurice Hurley's the guy that, and he was doing a lot of the writing at the time, that kind of did this. Uh, and it was basically Worf's first episode, his real episode. He's been yeah, nothing but a but, background character yeah, at this point.
1: Something to, to feature him. That's right. Because you have to do that in a first season. You've got to you got to do something that features each each of character. These every every character to to kind get of gets kind of gets their
0: moment to to, yeah. to build into them. And this was Worf's, and it changed everything. And it was basically about the Klingon renegade chorus, played by Vaughn Armstrong, who was one probably one of the most prolific character actors in Star Trek franchise because he played dozens. Actually, <laughs> he uh, you might know him best as Admiral Forrest in Enterprise because that was his longest recurring role. I mean he did that one for four years, on and off all the time. But this was one of his early ones. And he and he he and Warfare at odds about what does it mean to be Klingon. And by doing this, the audience gets a window into what they are and they go for broke here. They actually put it down. You can you can trace it back to the final confrontation between the two of them. And chorus uh, you know, has is telling him, uh, you know, join me, go out, and let's we'll write legends together, and you know, we'll change the world, we'll, we'll the universe, make everything the way it should be, and Worf, very clearly. And Michael Dorn sells this very well because this is one of his earliest role, earliest episodes, and he says, you know, you speak of glory and conquest and legends we will write, but in all that you say, where are the words duty, honor, loyalty? Without which a warrior is nothing. It's a little bit of a imitation of uh, Michael, Michael Dorn's Dorn. performance, but ultimately that's what it is. Yeah. That, that though that line, that one line, changes everything, because now all of a sudden this quasi-bushido-looking race now has adopted the bushido code in many respects. Yeah, but there's a glimpse into motivation.
2: That's exactly well, right, so and I, I think really. I would go so far as to say that they did not adopt it. What they have done is they have set up the tension for Worf's entire uh, character arc. Because right. they have not adopted it. What they have done is shown um, how, how Worf, Worf adopted adopted holds yeah. to the ideals uh-huh. of a race that he did not grow up among. That's right. right. We were talking key. about that. That's he holds key. out those ideals as the good and the perfect. Because and he want that's what he wants his people to be. That's right. He wants to be part of that. Yes. He isn't really part of anything dishonorable. That's correct. Uh, that he probably did learn from his human parents. If you want to go into you know theoretical motivations yes. and all this in this in this yes. fictional character.
1: Yeah, and again, Keke, but, yes, yes. We're talking about all this like it's real, but uh, it is a, a creation of writers and in. You know, you have to be careful with that because writers change, and yeah, that's people, right. But if producing shows come and go, but keepers are the
0: characters, though. Yeah, and if, the beauty if, of this you is have consistency. Michael Dorn has writer. played the character. Yes. You know, and in and fact, he's, a ton of credit goes to Michael. Well, Dorn. that's correct because he's the keeper of the character, and ironically, he has played the Worf character. He has played is the most reoccurring character in all of Star Trek. Yeah, he yeah. has appeared in more episodes than any other. Uh, character. Yeah.
2: Period. Yeah, well, joining DS9 and, and getting well, that's four years out of it, that it, it, helped. It, it, that's correct. It did. <laughs> yeah.
0: But there's a reason that they wanted to do that. There's a yeah, reason. Yeah, he was that, a, very he a very popular character. Very popular character. And it's because of this crucible that we talk about. This dichotomy. Mm-hmm. There's that word again. Uh, this this tension we have between the ideal and, right. and reality. Right. Because you, Robert, you were
1: hitting on that. And that to me, that's the whole the whole piece that makes it fun. Is yeah. Uh, Worf is actually separated from his culture. The the backstory of the character, if you're not familiar, his family is destroyed at the Kittimer Massacre. That's right. Uh, the Another Klingon's father betrayed the Klingon people to the Romulans, and the Romulans paid him back by destroying the, the Kittimer outpost. Which, Worf is thought to be the only survivor. He's a young child. Yeah. He's adopted, uh, adopted by human parents, and actually grows up on Earth. And... Joins Starfleet. the Starfleet, and join goes to this academy and becomes an officer, and therefore his conception of his culture is really limited by what his parents, his adoptive parents, the Rojinkos tell
0: him. Yes, and what and he learns, on his, and what he learns yeah. on his own as he
1: grows yeah. up, but separated, it, he's yeah. he never, never and of part course of they're it. They're only going to tell him the good parts,
0: right? right.
1: <laughs> well, sure. So I mean, think of it as if you. We're separated from America, and whoever you are with, some kind of adoptive family, only tells you the great things about America, yeah. which there are a lot of, uh, but then you find yourself deposited on the street in New York City, yeah. <laughs> and now you're struggling to figure out, well, what does it really mean to be an American? Right. right, he's in the same boat, right? Struggling to figure out what it means to
0: be a Klingon, and he has this very idealized right. because it's 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 everything to him. It's his quest in yes. life, yes. and that's that's the character development yeah. here. Is this is not just something that happens? He seeks it constantly. He is he, he's he's the he's
2: the orphaned child searching for his home. I like got a, I got a better one for you. Okay, give, it, right. give it, give it, bring on. it on, because you're gonna love this. He is the Thomas More of the Klingons. Oh, really? Because he has that personal ideal, uh-huh. that personal truth, yes. that standard. And he, for him, it is true with a capital T. That's right. And he will not deviate from that no matter what happens to him. even When he is ejected from his yes. society mm-hmm. and he does not give it up. And more importantly, he wants to hold all the rest of them to that same That's true. right. And that comes hold- in
0: later in Deep Space Nine yeah. when he is immersed in, at the highest levels of the Klingon political structure. Uh, because of all that happens, you know he helps put the, the Chancellor on the throne in, in the next generation and that pays enormous dividends yeah. because now he has the ability to interact at the highest what should be the ideal levels of the society he reveres and he comes into great conflict because his ideals he will not, he will not compromise. Yeah.
1: He's very disappointed when he comes into contact with Galran, actual real Klingons. That's right, Duras, Gowron, and many yeah, of the others they're, characters. They're, they're dishonorable. That's right, and and he is. they're
2: no different than
0: anybody else. Yeah, and, and he give, he pays them the they, highest of insults. He calls them "you are worthy of Romulans" because he hey they killed his family, they killed all this stuff. Uh, there's nobody worse than Romulans, and this and yeah. that's another thing yeah. uh, that goes into his character. Look, that you I see. think Robert said it. But, you know, people are people. Yeah, yeah, I mean essentially and I think that
2: that's part of what makes the story work for us. Yeah. That's yeah, right.
1: He's infused with humanity. Right. right. And that's leading him to hold his people to the highest standards right. of what it's supposed to be their creed. Um
2: Yeah, you know, part of that's also the 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 idealized world of of Star Trek and the Federation, you know, it's this perfect society that nobody needs money because we don't You know, that's so crass and, you know, that's just so 20th century. So Ferengi. So Ferengi. And yet, you know, people operate restaurants. I don't know, you know, what, you do that out of the goodness of your freaking heart, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's hard work, man. It is. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. well, you know, well, you know, and we get a little
0: of, you know, pushback on that in Deep Space Nine because the character of Quark is a stand-in for all that capitalistic uh, attitude that we often have, both good and bad.
2: And yet, he's one of the best characters he they is. ever created.
0: That is exactly right, and and, I'll, and a lot of credit goes to Armin Shimmerman and uh, Max Gronacek, uh and all those actors who played the Ferengi in that series over and over and over again yeah. because they really hu- they humanized them too and recognized they're not that different from us, and yet they are, and that's what's cool. Yeah. So,
1: but you know, I just a couple of things that I always found fun about the way Klingons were portrayed and the small decisions that they made in the show to make those characters fun. You know, originally, they weren't going to have Picard know a lot about Klingons. Right. But but Patrick Stewart said, no, I think it'd be better if he knew some of the language. Right. So in Sins of the Father, my favorite episode. Right. um, Third season. Yeah. Worf asked Picard to be his... Czaric, yes. his second, his uh, his representative to the council during what essentially is a criminal trial. Right. Um, and Patrick Stewart said, No, no, I'm gonna do the whole line.
0: Yeah.
1: And the line of Jalajnish, Jesus gets judging jes, judge. That's a close pronunciation. That's right. That's, very good. that's a very good uh, Nobody's gonna know the difference. Nobody's gonna know the difference. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, I accept. Uh, I accept with honor. Right. And may your enemies tremble before you. Right. And and this that's such a great little encapsulation of what's fun about the Klingon characters. Oh yeah. And, and it forever
0: cements Patrick Stewart's Picard character into the Klingon culture yeah. which pays, you know, pays off in future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So basically Patrick Stewart's insistence changed the course yeah. of what of what he, went He became, he yeah, became a part significant of, part of figure of fun
1: of it and and that's just to me that that's, that's good writing. That's this: we must act with honor. We must act with with fortitude and courage. And if we do that, we're undefeatable. Right. It's, and that that's the appreciation for me that in the Klingon culture is it's a it's a bravery, but not a uh, what's the right word? It's it's not a it's not a boasting. It's not it's a not bravado. It's not bravado. It's a calm bravery through, uh, and that's the uh, well. It's kind of like
0: It's like, as you say, it's kind of like Thomas More, who's basically saying, "I know that I'm right. I have to be," and that's kind of the way this works. Is and, and which sometimes can add, be seen as pure arrogance, but right? But you know, More was right. But when it, but <laughs> it's right, but, but but you know, he's basing that. Both of them are basing that on things bigger than themselves. Yeah, this is true. not just me saying I want it this way. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is yeah. there's actually some heft and some meat behind this yeah. that matters. Yeah.
2: And that's that universal truth we always seem to quest after. Yeah. I'd say Klingons, as they eventually came to be, the ideal that Worf held them up to is a universal ideal. Yeah. You know, duty, honor, loyalty. strength, loyalty, all of these things are universal goods. Right. And it's not just. Except when duty to you know duty honor loyalty to things that are wrong but that was Worf's point you know they're about you're supposed to have duty and honor about things that are good right and that's a given it was not you know the state
0: or the individual right or wrong it's no the state and or the individual must be right uh, and it's it's not a statist approach it's not an individual approach it's both
2: but it's it's a quest for virtue Again, to go good. back to the to the Roman Republic, it's not about the state; it's about the people. That's right.
1: Yes yeah, doing doing the right thing by others, right, and, yeah.
0: and that. So,
2: and the state must follow that. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's, it's, yeah. The yeah. state is
0: subordinate to that. To that. To and that's answer, what Worf that's is a, trying to put a forth. That's the idea of the state and being that's subordinate. That's what we get. Yeah. That's what we like. We're saying, you know, yeah. uh, Worf would never. You know, he's he is probably the he's an ideal himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flawed though he may be, yeah, because he can be pretty stubborn at times. Yeah.
1: So, fellas, we're at about 25 minutes. So, I want to get final thoughts on what you appreciate about the culture, of, as portrayed through
2: uh, Michael I, Dorn. And I think I just did. It, you know, yeah, it's the universal appeal for what he stands for. Yeah, you know, that's not a Klingon thing. That's that's a people thing. It's a human thing, obviously. Uh, it's it's something that everyone should be able to aspire to. You know, unless you're a flaming idiot, but, you know, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think
1: that the writers did a wonderful job of blending these two things into a, a really great character.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think another thing, too, that we cannot, cannot forget is Klingons are about strength, too. This is not some watered-down kumbaya type of culture here where we're just doing the right thing because we're good people. No, we are strong and good. These are not mutually exclusive. We have to be able to stand forth and scream to the universe, We are right, and we will do everything we have to do to make you understand that. And with the moral fortitude, there's a good word I think for that, that they have in doing so. They they know you no know, we are holding ourselves and you to a higher standards and we're will and we are doing so from a position of strength. That is, there's the difference between, you know, they are not a society of intellectuals. They're a society of warriors. Because they recognize that if you hold high ideals, you must work to make them happen. And you have to be able to defend them. That's correct.
1: Yeah. So listeners, I'll just, if you're not familiar with all this and you're wondering what we're on about, and you actually managed to stay with us for the whole 25 minutes and go, okay, sell me. There are five episodes of Next Generation that I love that are that are the main early on Wharf arc, and that's uh, the emissary, sins of the father, reunion, and redemption one and two. And that's that whole story arc of him from yes. trying to redeem his culture, and and it's got a lot of terrific performances. Susie Plaxen mm-hmm. plays Kalar, uh, and and there's. Uh, Robert Riley. Or yes, Robert Riley. Gow- Robert right. Riley is, Gowron, is and he's a long running awesome character. Awesome performance.
0: Yeah, Barbara and, March plays Lursa in that. She just died, actually. Yeah, uh, which is it's a shame. Then, she does a great uh, performance in the you in several. Know, a of those great episodes.
1: conflict with uh, Duras, one, another great Star
0: Trek villain. Um, so
1: that's that's what it's you a, need a good to get entry into
0: it. it. If you really wanted to immerse yourself well, you know, watch the. It, it, they actually. They span three years. They're spread out over the series. So
1: find those five episodes on your favorite streaming platform and and give them a watch and have some fun, and then you'll know what we've been
0: talking about. you can watch all those in an afternoon.
1: Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at
2: Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com.
0: I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.